0: Lift every voice and
1: That was Alicia Keys singing the Black National Anthem, otherwise known as uh, "Lift Every Voice and Sing." I'm Michael Moore, and this is my podcast, Rumble with Michael Moore. Thank you uh, for joining me here, Juneteenth, June nineteenth. It's the second year of this day being recognized as a federal national holiday. President Biden signed this into law with his executive order last year on June 17th, just two days before Juneteenth. So there, there really wasn't a lot of time to plan to do much around Juneteenth unless you were already doing that. Black Americans have been recognizing and celebrating this day for many years Over these years, I've attended uh, various Juneteenth celebrations, parties, whatever that I've been invited to. Oftentimes it was to help raise money for black candidates. But the fact now that this is an actual official federal holiday is pretty amazing. And it's due in large part to the efforts of one woman who is now 95 years old in Galveston, Texas. Her name is Opal Lee. And for years and years and years, she's fought. To have this day recognized as a national holiday. A number of states had already recognized it, but not the federal government. So Joe Biden said, well, I'm going to do it. And he did it. He followed through on this promise. Opal Lee was there at the signing ceremony last year. She was handed the pen. And now we have this new national holiday. Like all new things, this will take a little bit of time to catch on in the white community, but I'm confident that the majority of white people will be happy to participate in this. 47 states have already made this a state holiday, but only in 17 of them do the state workers actually get the day off and get paid for it. So there's ways to go there, but still it's pretty significant. I think that 47 states have at least acknowledged uh, this day. Now, what is this day if you don't already know? This is the day in 1865. So on June 19th, we're talking about 1865, about two and a half, almost two and a half months after the end of the Civil War and, of course, after the assassination of President Lincoln. No word of this proclamation had ever gotten down to Galveston that the the slaves were now free. But Lincoln had signed this proclamation and was made legal on January 1st, 1863. So it had already been like two and a half years you know, Galveston is way, way down at the very, if you follow the curve along the Gulf of Mexico and Texas, you go all the way down to the end of that, you're in Galveston. And uh, black people did not know that their freedom legally and because the South lost the war was now a reality. And so celebrations ensued and obviously, um, I can't imagine if you were an enslaved black person in this country i can't imagine what that after a few hundred years uh, of this the first slave ship landed there in virginia in 1619 uh, a year before the mayflower so since that time various black americans have celebrated this day most of us white people had never heard of it didn't know about it only maybe in recent times if you were uh, somewhat aware, connected to what was going on, you knew about it. So Opal Lee for years, I mean, I think starting in her eighties, she did this two and a half mile walk to represent the two and a half years that uh black people in Galveston did not know that they were, quote, free. Of course they were supposed to have always been free. It's it's uh it's weird talking about this because we as Americans don't really want to come to to grips with our um our history. And we've seen in the last couple of years, white parents packing school board meetings to try and make sure that critical race theory, they don't even know what that is, but they think they know. It sounds awful. Sounds like the schools want to blame white people <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, why blame us? <laughs> and of course, yes, us and meaning us in 2022, we were not there, but we have benefited greatly as white people, let's just be honest, uh, from what our white ancestors did, and the genocide that was committed to seize this country from its native peoples, and then to build it on the backs of enslaved human beings that were kidnapped from Africa, and went through all sorts of horror and hell when they arrived here in this country. To not acknowledge that and not want to teach that just it seems pretty ridiculous. So that's why I think it's important for us to talk about this, to acknowledge it, to take advantage of it, I I'd like to encourage all the states to make this a uh, paid day off for their state workers, and I'd like to encourage businesses and uh, schools. Let's close down on this day and use the day to participate in all kinds of things, whether it's celebrations or teachings, especially with our kids, so that they know their true American history. And I think that I think it's also important because we need to remind ourselves. On a daily, weekly, monthly basis, that we still have not fixed this problem. That we still live in a society of serious inequities and that black men and women and children occupy the lowest rungs of our economic ladder, our social ladder, everything that we still haven't fixed. And what a great thing to use this day every year as a way to check in, to see what have, what have we done in the last year to make this better? For our fellow citizens, whose ancestors came from Africa, came from, sounds so sweet, doesn't it, (laughs) whose ancestors were kidnapped, imprisoned, beaten, raped, killed, lynched, there's so much left to do. We've done a lot, let's acknowledge that, but we're nowhere near where we need to be So we have to keep doing this, and we have to figure out how to fix it so that the level playing field that we always say we have, but we don't, is truly level. So that whether you're black or white or brown or whatever you are in this country, you've got the same equal shot. And don't we all believe in that? I mean, isn't that what's just called basic fairness? But you see, it's not going to happen on its own, and it's not going to happen if, especially those of us who are white, don't get up get involved, and make it happen. So that that is my plea for you today on this holiday, that we all do that. I will continue to do that. If we do this all together, we'll be in, in better shape and we'll have less shame in terms of how we constructed this country and the sad, sad situation that we still see in this day and age. So happy Juneteenth, everybody. Let's make this a thing every year. And throughout the year, let's do the work that needs to be done to make sure that there's equal pay, there's equal opportunity, that we end this vicious mass incarceration system that we have that is extremely racist. All the work that so many people are are doing to make these things happen, let's join in with them. Start locally, do that. So we don't just have another holiday, we actually have action. Back in 2019, before the pandemic, Congresswoman Barbara Lee from Oakland, California, asked me if I would come out and be her guest uh, speaker at her annual Juneteenth uh, celebration that she has there in Oakland. And and I said yes. And then something happened. I think I was in the middle of filming something, I couldn't make it. And uh, a few weeks before, I had to let her know. But I I said, I promise I will be there next year on June 19th, 2020. And of course, as we know, uh, nothing happened that year, 2020, then 2021, 2022. Still haven't flown on a plane yet, but I'm about to do that, I hope. So Barbara Lee, Congresswoman Lee, if you are listening, I will be there on Juneteenth next year in Oakland, California. All right. Let's uh, just take a minute here to thank a couple of our underwriters. So first up, a huge thank you to Moink for supporting this podcast and supporting my voice we all care about our environmental footprint. And when it comes to our food, I know that we all care about where our food comes from, how it's grown. And for those of us that eat meat, and I know that not all Rumble listeners eat meat, but for those of us that do, we do care about whether the animals were raised humanely and sustainably. Yet for a lot of us, when we make a trip to the local supermarket, it's not always possible to find meat and fish that aren't coming out of some large polluter heavy factory farm. And that's where Moink comes in. Moink, that's like moo plus oink and spelled M-O-I-N-K. Moink, it's a meat subscription company that delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct from small family farms across America to your door. You'll never again have to question where your meat came from and how the animals were treated. They're all raised outdoors on grass with no growth hormones, antibiotics, or confined to these cruel buildings and cages. And the best part of this is that you'll be taking money out of big agriculture and helping to save small family farming in America. So keep American family farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash rumble. Do this right now, and listeners of this podcast will get a free filet mignon in every order for a year. Whoa, that's one year you get the best filet mignon you'll ever taste, but for only a limited time during this year. So, it's spelled M-O-I-N-K, moink moinkbox.com slash rumble. That's moinkbox.com slash rumble. I'd also like to thank our other underwriter for this episode, and that is Calm. Thank you, Calm, for your continued support of our work here at Rumble with Michael Moore. It's so important, my friends, we all know this, to make time every day to take a break. There's so much stress going on right now, and I'm not talking about taking a break and having a good binge watch after dinner. I'm really talking about the little breaks throughout the day, whether it's a five-minute meditation or a 10-minute movement break, just to get some exercise, some fresh air, to reset mentally and physically. Taking just a little bit of time can make such a massive difference to your day-to-day stress levels. And I know for me, my ability to stay focused. Calm, C-A-L-M, Calm, is the number one mental wellness app on the internet. And it provides all the tools you need to help with that reset and to just generally improve the way you're feeling during the day. They have a vast array of guided meditations and daily movement breaks. And for those who have a hard time falling asleep or who wake up throughout the night, they have curated music tracks and imaginative sleep stories for adults and kids. So don't wait on this. Join the over 100 million people around the world that use Calm and subscribe today. And for listeners of this podcast, Rumble, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash rumble. So go to calm.com slash rumble for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash rumble. Well, another thing uh, I want to mention that happened this weekend, it's uh, Paul McCartney's uh, 80th birthday. And uh, that just didn't seem possible to me that he is uh, 80 years old. Just um, amazing. I don't know if you saw the Peter Jackson uh, documentary uh, this year. It was almost eight hours long. And they divided it up into three different sections on uh, Apple Plus uh, TV. And it was called, uh, well, I think he just called it Get Back. It was a reworking of the Let It Be film that was made back in 1969 and 70. They filmed the final sessions of the Beatles and they made a film called Let It Be. I believe it won the Oscar for Best Documentary. My mind doesn't fail me here, but it left a it left an impression of seeing the Beatles kind of at their worst in their final days, not getting along, hating to go into the studio, recording music, going through the motions. I think if you saw the movie, you know what I'm talking about, or you've maybe read about it. And then I watched this a few months ago, this new, it was actually back in back around Thanksgiving when it was released, and it blew my mind. Peter Jackson, they gave him complete access to all the footage that was shot back then, not just the hour and a half that you see in this movie. And he put together a film that tells an entirely different story. Not one of rancor and uh, anger toward each other, but a film. Just imagine this now. This This is a film about the same Sessions filmed by the the same filmmakers at that time, back in the late 60s and 70s. And what you see in this version, with all the extra footage that Peter Jackson has put into this, is a group of people that loved each other. They kind of knew it was coming to an end. And what there was wasn't rancor or anger. There was a sadness that, you know, they were no longer teenagers They were well into their twenties, or I think a couple of them might have been thirty years old at that time, and or near thirty. And it's a beautiful, beautiful film. If you haven't seen it, you can't watch it in one one sitting. You've got to, you do have to break it up. Like you got to watch two and a half hours of it three different times. But it is so, so amazing and beautiful. You get an inside look at the creative process. And you see the creativity that takes place when people actually do love each other as close friends, as comrades, as musical geniuses. You know, I've, I've gone back. I have to, I want to go back and watch it actually a third time because it's so amazing. And Paul, uh, first of all, you'll have a whole different view. The way Yoko Ono was made out in the media Oh, she she broke up the Beatles. Such a lie. And you see her loving nature, her, her genius, her creativity. It was amazing. And the love between her and John is just such a beautiful thing to watch. And a lot of times they didn't know the camera was on them. And the thing about Paul, you really see that, I mean, I think a lot of people thought of John as maybe, I mean, he sort of did put the band together and, and uh, was the leader of it in that sense. But but there really, there wasn't a leader in the, in the way that it, you see Paul in this working so hard to keep the group together. And even though he had his own thoughts and feelings about maybe it was time to you know, move on, he didn't want to move on without doing this last project putting on a live concert of sorts, filming it so that there would be this record of this last great album. And in the case of when you see the the film, it's being recorded at a time that they're also doing Abbey Road. They've just come out of the White Album. So you see they're still working on things even it seems after these albums are done. But Paul, I was just blown away and mesmerized by his ability to try to make it work and to respect his bandmates and to make sure the others didn't get down on Yoko being present at these sessions where they're recording. You know, he'd been a friend with John since he was 15 years old. And if John loved Yoko, that was good enough for Paul. And and he thought it was good that Yoko was there. It was good for John. Because that's what you want. If you're really friends, you want what's best for your friend. I just had a a whole new appreciation, admiration, reverence for Paul McCartney. And it just reminded me of something I, I have learned over the years. Never believe what the press is telling you about famous people, about celebrities. It is often 180 degrees the opposite of what you're being told. I sat there, you know, my jaw dropping at a Paul McCartney I'd never seen, never heard about, never read about, and I felt so grateful for him for having this idea to do this last film, to do this "Let It Be" um, film that in this with Peter Jackson. It's now called "Get Back," but um, wow, you're gonna you're gonna see something that will make you think about. Just even in your own life of of what friendship means, what loyalty means to the people that you love and care about, and how you don't give up. and Paul would not give up. it, it was it's a beautiful thing uh, to see and a beautiful thing to learn um, about Paul McCartney and I'm happy I get a chance to say this on uh, his eightieth birthday. I've never met him. But Paul, I just want to share one thing here. a year or so after the Beatles broke up, Paul and Linda McCartney came to New York. Uh, he and John wanted to get back together, wanted a friendship, and it went so well that later in January, Paul flew back to New York to be with John and Yoko and to talk politics and to just to get re-energized, hanging out in Greenwich Village. <laughs> So he's so he's they're there, he's there on um, uh, in, in the last weekend of January of seventy two and word comes over the news that in Derry, Northern Ireland, uh, British troops opened fire on a nonviolent civil rights demonstration by the Catholic minority, and the army soldiers just s- sprayed bullets and killed thirteen. Of these picketers, shot them dead, and shot a whole bunch of others that fortunately didn't die. You might have heard of it historically. It's called Bloody Sunday. And Paul writes a song, calls up his bandmates, and Wings, and says, I'm, I'm flying back. Let's, let's book the uh, EMI studios and, and Abbey Road or whatever. And let's make this our first single. And they agreed. And The song was called Give Ireland Back to the Irish. Right away, they recorded this and uh, very quickly got this out as the first single by Paul McCartney and Wings, a very uh, political song, something he was not known for. And of course, the press went crazy. They trashed him. Uh, The BBC banned the song. A lot of radio stations in the United States would not play the song. I remember the first time I heard the song. I was so stunned and so moved by it. So, I thought what I'd do here on his birthday today is play a song I'm sure many of you have never heard. It's very hard to find this song. It finally got put on an album when they did the re release of the Wings album, Wildlife, some 20 years later in the 1990s. So, I'm going to play this. It's the best version I could find of it. It's a little rough, a little raw. And to be fair, Northern Ireland is not in the shape that it was in back then. The Good Friday Agreement and all the things that happened to try and stem the violence and get the British to back off a bit and to try to respect the rights of the Catholic minority. Things aren't completely fixed there, like they aren't fixed here, but there's been positive movement. Uh, So I play this song with the understanding that uh, maybe it isn't a song that would be uh, played on the radio today or whatever, but I think it's an important piece of Paul McCartney's history. It was during a month when he and John got back together as friends. Uh, they also agreed to stop the public uh, feuding that had been going on since the breakup of the Beatles a year and a half prior. And I think Paul, and I've, I, I think I, know, I actually know this, was really inspired To be talking to John again, especially about the political situation in this world. And out of this grew this very powerful song. uh, And I'm going to play it for you right now in honor of Paul McCartney's 80th birthday uh, Give Ireland Back to the Irish. before we move on, I've got one more underwriter here today that's sponsoring uh, this edition of Rumble with Michael Moore. And I want to thank them and tell you about them. I want to give a huge thank you to our longtime underwriter, Stamps.com. It's June, everybody. Summer is now officially upon us, and the last thing any of us want to do when the weather is nice and we can be out doing, well, virtually anything else is to stand in line at the post office. Well, with Stamps.com, you don't have to do that. You can cut out the middleman and you do it yourself right from your home. All you need is your regular computer and a printer, and Stamps.com will give you access to all the post office and UPS shipping services that you need. I'm telling you, Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping quick, easy, convenient, wherever you are. That's why we use it when we're out on all of our film productions, because we have to be able to send stuff from anywhere right away. And this will save you money. You can get up to 30% off postal service rates and 86% off UPS. So stop wasting time and start saving money by using Stamps.com to mail and to ship. Sign up with the promo code MORE. That's M-O-O-R-E for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. There are no long-term commitments. There's no contracts. You just go to stamps.com, click the microphone up at the top of the page and enter the code MORE. M-O-O-R-E, that's me. So as we all know here in the United States, any day now, any hour now, the Supreme Court is going to remove the reproductive rights from 51% of the population. Women are about to once again be reminded that they are second-class citizens in this country, that they hold very little power politically. Only 25% of Congress is female. Uh, they hold very little power economically. They generally do not run our corporations or Wall Street or our banks And they are the working class. They don't make as much as men, and therefore they have to uh, get by with less. And as we learned a, a month or two ago, they've already written the opinion to make abortion illegal, a crime, to declare that the moment an egg is fertilized by a sperm, that is a human being, and they will assess the appropriate penalties for any woman or doctor, who a woman who has an abortion or a doctor who performs one. We're going back to the dark ages here, folks. And uh, I know a lot of us have been upset about this the past uh, few months. We're about to get clobbered really hard. And I want to talk about just for a minute or so here, just what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? And we have to be ready. Literally, this could happen at any moment. If we do not respond immediately upon the announcement that they have taken these rights away from the women of this country, that's all the other side needs to see, how weak we are. Even though we're the majority in this country, those who take the political positions we have, we represent the majority. And yet, we're going to let them get away with this. They are going to get away with it until they don't get away with it because we're we're smart enough to figure out how to fight back and how to protect women and how to make this legal and how to remove these bastards come November so that we can pass an actual law that should have been passed a long time ago no thanks to the democrats who didn't do this and so now now we're stuck with a senate that's still republican i mean it's yes officially we have with the vice president we have 51 of the 100 votes but we also have a couple of Democrats who are really Republicans. So, you know, we can't count on them. We have to act immediately, my friends. We cannot sit back on this. And and you need to call your friends, family members, schoolmates, co-workers, and make a plan now with each other saying as soon as this is announced, we find out what the plan is from the local groups that are going to have a march or a demonstration or rally in front of the federal building in your town, whatever it is. And the Women's March and their website, they've been very good about posting everything that's going on in in hundreds of towns across the country. So I encourage you, and I'll, you can, I'll have a link right here on my podcast platform page. You can click on that link and see what's going on in your area. And if nothing is going on yet in your area, Plan something right now. Don't wait till the day, whether it's this week or next week, uh, when the Supreme Court makes this announcement. Organize, put things up, put things online, contact groups. Let's just all agree here in our little Podunk town that you know that the night of the Supreme Court announcement at 7 p.m. that night we're all going to gather someplace, and we're going to be loud. Our voices will be heard. We are the majority of this country and we are not going to let a majority Catholic Supreme court with their conservative Catholic religious reasons. That's right. Six of the nine Supreme court members uh, were raised Catholic and five of them still are Catholic. And they're going to impose on us the beliefs of the Catholic church which say that a fertilized egg is a human being. It is not science. We know that it's not. What it is, is it's a fertilized egg. And then it becomes a fetus. And then when it is able to live outside its mother's womb, then it's a human being, but not until then. And they're going to try and impose Catholic doctrine on us when the very first amendment to this constitution, the very first line of it says, Congress shall make no law regarding the establishment of religion. And yet we're going to have a ruling come down that is an edict of the Catholic Church. I'm I'm speaking to somebody who was raised Catholic and who's a recovering Catholic. I'm just telling you, my friends, that this must not be allowed to happen. Please. Please. And let's not be silent about this. And it's not just one demonstration. It's not just, it's a whole bunch of things that we have to do from now to November and then after November, after we get the right people elected. I'm telling you, my friends, it's time to fire up. Get ready to go nonviolently. We are going to take this thing down. We're not going to allow this to pass. So check out the Women's March site. Check out what's going on locally in your town. And if nothing's going on, make something happen. But plan on doing it now. As soon as you're done with this, just start calling some friends. Plan to go together to whatever's going to happen that night. Please, please, please. They can't get away with this. We can't let this happen. I want to close with... Uh, uh, a testimony that was given in Congress by Representative Lucy McBath. This sort of came out of nowhere. Um, nobody knew she was going to say what she said, tell the story uh, that she told. But I was so moved by it, and I I wanted to play this here on my podcast. It, it doesn't it doesn't go more than I don't know five or six minutes long, but. But I need I need you to, to please um, listen to this. It's it's not a story of abortion. It's a story of miscarriage, and what she went through. And then wondering now with these new laws that have been passed in many many states, with this ruling that's going to come down for the Supreme Court. The danger that women are going to be in. The power the police are going to have to arrest you, when. Possibly you actually did have a miscarriage, but, but the fingers have been pointed at you. Some religious neighbor says that wasn't a miscarriage, she had an abortion. This is very powerful, I want you to listen to this. And please share uh, my podcast here so that people can, can hear this. This is Representative Lucy McBath in our United States Congress.
2: Like so many women in America for years, I struggled to get pregnant. My husband and I, we tried everything that we could do to start a family of our own, and finally, we were successful. I had never been so happy, and I prayed for this moment for so many years. I wanted to tell everyone, I just wanted to shout it from all of the mountaintops. For weeks, I began to dream about our life and our future together. And then one day, I woke up covered in blood. And it's hard to describe the agony of a miscarriage. It's heartbreak, it's helplessness, it's pain and it's profound sadness. Millions of women suffer from them and I've heard from many who felt guilty like I did, who felt as though that we weren't worthy of having a child. Those are the same feelings that crept through my mind. And every time I've had these difficult discussions with other women, I remind them that they are strong and that they are powerful beyond measure and that their worth is far more than their ability to procreate. However, it seems those in support of this ruling disagree. After my second miscarriage, I wondered in my grief again if God had decided I was never meant to be a mother. So when I finally got pregnant again, I was overjoyed. It was as if I believed that God was giving me and my husband. Finally, he had a plan for us to be parents. But after four months While feeling terror and trauma in my heart, I was rushed to the emergency room. There with my doctor and my husband, I learned that I had suffered a fetal demise or a stillbirth. There again, I was filled with anguish and sorrow and guilt and I tried so hard and still, I felt like I failed trying to be a mother. My doctor thought it would be better and safer to end the pregnancy naturally without the medicines so commonly used. So for two weeks, I carried my dead fetus and waited for me to go into labor. For two weeks, people passed me on the street telling me how beautiful I looked, asking how far along I was and saying that they were so excited for me and my future with my child. For two weeks, I carried a lost pregnancy and the torment that comes with it. I never went into labor on my own. When my doctor finally induced me, I faced the pain of labor without hope for a living child. This is my story. It's uniquely my story. And yet it's not so unique. Millions of women in America, women in this room, women at your homes, and women you love and cherish have suffered a miscarriage. And so I ask on behalf of these women, After which failed pregnancy should I have been imprisoned? Would it have been after the first miscarriage? After doctors used what would be an illegal drug to abort the lost fetus? Would you have put me in jail after the second miscarriage? Perhaps that would have been the time. Forced to reflect in confinement at the guilt I felt the guilt that so many women feel after losing their pregnancies? Or would you have put me behind bars after my stillbirth? After I was forced to carry a dead fetus for weeks, after asking God if I was ever going to be able to raise a child, and I asked because the same medicine used to treat my failed pregnancies is the same medicine states like Texas would make illegal. I ask because if Alabama makes abortion murder, does it make miscarriage manslaughter? I ask because I want to know if the next woman who has a miscarriage at three months, if she will be forced to carry her dead fetus to term. So for the women in your life, whose stories you do not know, For the women across the country whose lives you may not understand, and for the women in America who have gone through things you simply cannot comprehend, I say to you this. Women's rights are human rights. Reproductive health care is health care. And medical decisions should be made by women and those that they trust, not politicians and officials. We have a choice. We can be the nation that rolls back the clock, that rolls back the rights of women, and that strips them of their very liberty. Or we can be the nation of choice, the nation where every woman can make her own choice. Freedom is our right to choose.
1: Powerful, powerful, powerful. My friends, let's not let this happen to our country. Let's not let Trump, his three appointees, one third of the court appointed by Trump, more than half of the court trying to establish Catholic doctrine and enforce it against the people of this country. If you sit this one out, if you just let them get away with this, what else would you let them get? It? Probably anything, right? That's not who you are. I know you. We're not going to let this happen. They may get away with it for a few months. But we have to rise up here. Because if we don't do it this time, if we just let it happen, if we're just too exhausted from COVID and, and four years of Trump and Trump still in the news every single day, and you just, I know, you don't want to watch the news and I want to just please leave me alone. No, sorry, you don't get to say that. I'm sorry I have to say it that way to you, but we are all in this together. And this is our country, not these weirdos who are are trying to impose their religious beliefs on us. This is our country. The vast majority of this country supports Roe v. Wade, supports legal abortion, supports women, having the right to control their own bodies. That's the vast, vast majority of us, over 70%. Come on. Please make a plan today, tonight. We are hours, perhaps hours away from this ruling coming down. Let's, in a nonviolent way, make them regret and rue the day they ever thought that they could tell half the population, what they were able to do with their own bodies. Thank you, my friends, for listening to this podcast today. I know we have work to do. My thanks to our producer and editor, Angela Vargas, and to everybody else who helps me with this podcast and to all of you who listen to it. Much appreciation. And um, I will talk to you soon. This is Michael Moore, and this is Rumble. And we'll go out here on this uh, Juneteenth with uh, Alicia Keys again, finishing up the, the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice. Thanks,
0: everyone. Facing
3: forces that want to take us back to another place. We don't want to go back. We want to go forward.